Merry Christmas one and all and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with me, Jamie, and as always, my brother Bobby. Good evening, Bobby, and Merry Christmas. How are you doing? Good evening, Jamie. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. Uh, I'm very well. I'm uh, feeling very festive, sitting here sipping on a lovely glass of mulled wine. It is delightful. I've been playing around with a few different uh, mulled wine uh, additions recently. So I've got a base recipe I've used for years, which I'm a huge fan of. But I've recently been uh, adding little bits like uh, different um, bitters or I've got bitters. some slow gin. Angostura's bitters? No, like orange bitters. And oh, I've got right. some cocoa bitters also from Angostura, but not their usual aromatic. Um, I've been spiking it with slow gin. I've been spiking it with sweet vermouth, which is incredible. And uh, if anyone had a question about how much of a ponce you are, it's now been answered. <laughs> well, I was always just curious because I see a lot of good mulled wine recipes use um, like sherry and different like you know brandy additions and that sort of thing. It's often not just wine, so I wasn't sure if less is more was really true. So this is the first time I've used a bit of everything. <laughs> so this has got. A bit of everything, and I can confirm that more is more. More is more. Always more is more. More is more. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is um, being released on the twenty third, I believe. So just a couple of days outside Christmas. I don't know how many people are going to be, you know, hankering to listen to this podcast two days before Christmas. Maybe you're listening after Christmas because you were too busy. But I hope you had a good Christmas if you are doing. Um, but we've got a couple of a uh, couple of bits of housekeeping, haven't we, Bob? We have indeed. Yeah, we were going to send out a little uh, Christmas present to a listener, Zach, who asked for a shout-out. So, uh, hello, Zach. Glad you're enjoying the podcast. Zach rather accurately, uh, shamelessly said he has listened to every episode three times. I haven't even listened to every episode three times, and I have to edit them and listen back to make sure they're all good. So, two is more than I can handle. So. <laughs> Zach's, Zach's really going for a deep dive I like that he partly said that he was wanted to shout out just to annoy his missus who he knew would be listening because he always plays our podcast around her uh, and I, I can really get behind that sort of, <laughs> you know that, that sort of in-house uh, comedy that's great And if you fancied giving us a little bit of a, uh, a Christmas present for the festive season then uh, do feel free to go on to whatever your podcast app of choice is and maybe leave us a lovely review. If you don't like the show, then obviously what you're doing listening and don't leave a review. But if you do, uh, we would... Yeah, keep that to yourself. We would, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear it and see it. Just read a new review from a couple of days ago as well, so that they're very flattering and lovely to, to receive. So it would be a great little present for us, if you fancied it. Is that all right or was that shit? No, that was fine. That'll buff out. <laughs> <laughs> Why have we not used that expression before? That's great. <laughs> it's like, well, it was shit now, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine in the edit. <laughs> so the podcasting equivalent of auto-tune, just cutting it all and putting it all together. So this week's episode, we have got three men, a woman and a baby. Um, I was just doing a little bit of outside of the box research not so episodic well it was episodic but but just in general about the show while i was sort of looking up some of the ratings and so on i found out that 
Only Fools and Horses is number 41 on IMDb's top rated TV shows. Really? Yeah, which I thought was really high. That is really high. Um, beating such shows as Friends, The Office, Peaky Blinders, Faulty Towers, just mixing up different sort of contemporary things there. But it is losing out to Game of Thrones and Rick, of Morty, Rick and Morty. Listen, I'm not the nicest guy in the universe. Because I'm the smartest, and being nice is something stupid people do to hedge their bets. So, you know, can't have it all. I think on originality, that's fair. I mean, I've only said a Rick and Morty because I wanted to drop, I've always wanted to put a Rick and Morty drop in, so that that was the only reason for that segment. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a whole minute just so you can get Pickle Rick in there or something. <laughs> Good. Uh, but this episode. Um, as far as ratings goes, is a nice eight point eight on IMD, which is uh, the the overall rating for the series. So this is the mean average for the entirety this is of par, the show. Par only fools. It is a <laughs> it is a par only fools. There's a little bit that's become regular here, which fits nice into the intro, which is explaining the title. I'm thinking this is one of the times I might not have to do that, but you've surprised me before. Do you get what the title is referencing? I, 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 oh, that face says no. <laughs> I, I I did, but now you put it on the spot. I don't. It's it's a, it's a um. It's it's, a, it's either a famous show or a famous film or something, isn't it? It is a famous film. So, uh, three men and a baby. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Is that Ted Danson? Ted Danson, John Selleck. Very yeah. famous uh, yeah, film yeah. from nineteen eighty seven. Um, actually, originally based on a French book just called three men which was interesting um and last little bit of relative trivia for that is there is apparently in the works a remake with zac efron jesus seems like a weird thing to remake but all right you can just modernize everything though can't you like anything that once was good you could make really good but in now yeah how often is something made because you're only talking guess 30 just over 30 years ago what's the last thing they remade from 30 years ago that's really good like a comedy as well they're always the hardest to remake because mm. it's not like you can add new effects to make it interesting like you can't do with an action show no you could just modernize it um like some of the things in 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 this episode as well you know you can always make things more uh accurate to the sort of zeitgeist as it changes over sort of decades which which it certainly does um but back to this episode uh this is the last episode in terms of regular series every other episode after this is essentially a christmas special with the final episode ever airing on 2003 yeah that is crazy this is to think it's the last regular episode we've done them all specials all the way down now Fortunately, they're not all absolute mammoth length, although the length of them all does vary, so that's going to create some interesting things for us, as all the episodes are random lengths from now on. Um, but yeah, this is it. End of the regular season. Yeah, it, it might get a bit messy moving forwards in how we manage some of that, but, but bear with us, we'll, we'll do our best. But in, but before we get ahead of ourselves, we'll get into the last episode, which is Series 7, Episode 6, Three Men, A Woman, and a Boo-Boo. Stick a pony in me pocket, I'll fetch the suitcase from the van. So, we have what has become 
the most recurring start to Only Fools and Horses episodes ever. More <laughs> recurring than opening up on the telly in the early doors or anything like that. And it is Rodney being hungover and getting a lot of exposition about how his marriage is messed up and he's out of work and just generally depressed. Rodney comes to the the table to see a plate full of food which is cold and sort of turns his stomach and we find out very quickly that he's become a vegetarian and uh, Albert's got a nice little quip to start us off. You still a vegetarian? Yes. Pity they didn't make booze out of animals then maybe you wouldn't get hangover. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Rodney to become vegetarian. I give it five minutes. I, I was thinking, actually, I don't know if this... Uh, Rodney doesn't do a lot of eating. DJ obviously loves it and is eating all the time. <laughs> and in this episode specifically, uh, I might as well bring it up now because uh, it, it's something that I thought was quite weird. So in in a few moments, Del asks for a bacon sandwich. In the very next scene, he asks for a chip butty. In the very next scene, he has uh, bangers and mash. Legend. Living his best life. Yeah, I know. After this health kick that he was having, like, you know, a series ago, he, he's gone full about turn and he's on nothing but, you know, pork cylinders and and fatty bacon and God knows what else. It, I expected maybe it would come up at some point as, you know, maybe his health was in question or Raquel was going to get mad. But I don't know, maybe she's just pre-concerned with being pregnant. Yeah, that's what it is. She's too busy being massively pregnant, so he's thinking... I'm going to get all my fun in while I can. And it's going to be all nothing but cucumber sandwiches and muesli after that. <laughs> uh, but I don't think we ever really see Nicholas doing much eating. So I was curious if the vegetarianism kind of stays or if there's any reason to believe that he broke it. But I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of remained true for his character. So something to sort of keep an eye out. I can picture him having a fry up at Sid's. He is flaky as you like, but he is also sort of you know, Captain Planet at the same time. So we'll see. I think it would be just like his hunger strike. <laughs> but Rodney is uh, not in the highest of spirits. He is uh, it, staring in the face of inheriting Trotter's independent traders, which doesn't exactly excite him. And he is already looking to the future at what Dylan Raquel's kid could mean for him whilst he is the new director. Do you realise, by the time I'm 45, son of Dell will be 16. And that'll be it, won't it? I can hear him now. I've got a good idea, Uncle Rodney. I'll go and buy a load of old crap and you can go out and sell it for me. <laughs> what I really love about this bit is the self-awareness from Rodney to go, and I'd fall for it. Like, he, I think he knows he's going to get beaten and bossed around by this, which is weird because he's been... There was a few episodes after he left the printing firm where he seemed like he was very much still looking down from his ivory tower, despite the fact that he'd actually fallen from it. <laughs> but then this episode comes with some like a little bit of self-awareness to think like, yeah, I'm just, I'm nothing. I think you can tell he's really depressed because he's like, this little kid's going to run all over me as well. Nothing to look forward to. He is really down in the dumps. Yeah, and he does. He talks about this kid and sort of foreshadows it being the Antichrist straight away, um, dropping in that, that they're bound to call it Damien. I don't imagine anyone believed that that joke would end up basically becoming true when they when they first heard it. Yeah, the, the runner of um, Rodney kind of referring to this kid as the the Antichrist and and Damien and stuff is 
is so good. It's throughout this episode and throughout the rest of the show. And uh, it's just... It's just a nice little random side bit that just comes up every like episode or two and you kind of forget about it and then there's a little drop and yeah, it's great. So yeah, Rodney has gone sort of full woke and vegetarian and that's kind of the topic of conversation for a little bit. One of the things that he mentions is that one in five people are vegetarian, um, which seemed a bit high, so I actually checked it checked it out. Massively high. Yeah, one one study from 2018 said that 14% of the UK population was a vegetarian then, so kind of now, which is obviously a shed load less than one in five, so a little bit ambitious. Um, but Dale's being a proper old school bloke and just sort of saying that you need fat and meat to sort of solid things up, and he's, you know, he's being pretty old school. But Rodney is just feeling proper depressed, as you said. Uh, there is just a really good line that this scene finishes on. I am depressed because of the state of my life at the moment. I've got this horrible feeling that if there is such a thing as reincarnation, knowing my luck, I'll come back as me. <laughs> now we go to the Nag's Head, and it turns out there's a Guess the Baby Name competition going on down Dell's Local, which is a very uh, cosy, quaint idea. Trigger and Mike are trying to work out what it could possibly be, and after the prompting of Mike, Trigger just goes ahead and asks Rodney, thinking he's the most likely to know. Interesting, the name Sigourney is mentioned, obviously after Sigourney Weaver. Now, I was thinking to myself, I know uh, actors have like all sorts of weird and wonderful names, especially these days, but I was thinking, Sigourney isn't like a real first name. It just isn't. Like, I don't buy that that's her name, and where the hell does that name even come from? So I looked it up. So Sigourney Weaver's real first name is Susan, and the name Sigourney comes from Mrs. Sigourney, who was a character in The Great Gatsby. So she's essentially invented it as a first name. So the idea of then Dell giving it to a kid is a bit... I'm guessing there are probably loads of Sigourneys around. If you name Sigourney, drop us a line. But <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered, like, that just seems like a very odd choice for Dell. It's funny, um, th- this whole bit between Tri- Trigger and uh, and Rodney, I-, I wanted to quote it as well, but I've already dropped in a few quotes. And I was kind of very aware that that a lot of the time, you know, we can be quite far into the pod before a sort of quote comes up. But it was a really quick start in terms of the the jokes in this episode. Like a lot of times, it can be very plotty, can be a bit slow, and we're sort of building that plot up. But this was just like straight in with with the jokes, all really quotable. I could have basically quoted everything that came out of Trigger's mouth in the nags head because it was just gold. And and yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a real quick pace at the start of that it kind of stood out for me i don't know if you really noticed i certainly noticed at the end of the episode that rodney in particular had a stupid amount of one-liners in this episode and many of them were fantastic and also some of the best delivered i think and i mean we already quoted him several times and that just that first scene uh i think that's that's really great because he's so depressed for most of this opening sort of 15 minutes so to have him come up with those really good jokes is uh, a nice way to mix it up it's a good balance so Albert makes his way in and uh, turns out Rodney's been out for a little day out with Cass and he's been asking how it's going and and it's not gone well unfortunately (laughs) shock horror yeah and uh, I kind of wondered what Sullivan had in mind for the future of this really like is he sort of sidelining the whole Rodney and Cass thing in favour of other plots and ideas that he has? Is he 
does he just know what to do with it or did he sort of always plan to bring it back or had he just not really addressed it like yeah it's been a very interesting little sideline i especially like how it's addressed in this episode in terms of it all gets a bit emotional we get the old man's man feelings again everyone's saying uh you know it's it is tragic a uh, uh, marriage breaking up but it happens yeah, and everyone's sort of sticking their nose in. Mike, well, Trigger's asking questions, Albert's asking questions. Mike's trying to give him some uh, some advice. And it, they're all kind of being funny and cracking jokes about it, but it's just infuriating, Rodney, as, as it would do. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he says he's never been so depressed in his life, and it, and it is a little bit cutting, that. I, I feel like they are trying to help as friends, even if they are just... Like, no one ever wants help in that situation, but... I do generally feel like they're trying, and I kind of take, or at least, I theor I, I probably don't wouldn't do this in. I probably wouldn't do this. I probably wouldn't take this advice myself, despite agreeing with it. But I kind of like Dell's take of like you know, not giving up on people. I think it's a really nice little, um, a nice angle taken by Dell, and a really really nicely put across. Yeah, and that that whole sort of belief in people does lead into a. A brilliant story which is probably a bit long to quote uh, about some guy who was on the edge of a cliff um, and those people gave him a whip round to get the money that uh, he was after because he was in some sort of bankrupt lumber and they asked where the money came from and it <laughs> they say that it came from all the passengers on his bus <laughs> that feels like a really great like urban myth type classic story and a lot, I, I really like when those come up because they just feel like just good classic gags. They're proper pub jokes, aren't they? And the same as when yeah, Mike yeah. goes, um, uh, you know, I was married once, had sort of 18 years of bliss, and then they both say, and <laughs> then it'll matter. Videl <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, orders himself the, the second of the, the two meals, which is the uh, the chip butty with uh, both sauces, red and brown. I don't know if you've ever gone red and brown or anything. I've not. Usually it's uh, one or one or or t'other, but yeah, good man. But all of this sort of downer and depression is broken up pretty well when Rodney peeks into the box and finds out that all of the wigs are actually men, and he just starts cracking up, which is great. <laughs> you were right, Del. He's cheered up already. And we leave them there and head back to the flat. So we're in the flat, and Dell is lamenting his man wigs. I don't know how weird you found this, because I was thinking, when he originally said wigs, I thought men's wigs. Because these days, like, women, as far as I'm aware, very few women wear wigs now. And I know it was a big thing, like, in the 80s, and I think we spoke, well, I got a feeling wigs have come up before. Maybe for the UXD dolls, I think that's maybe when. But women wearing wigs was a very common thing back in the day. But now when I think of wigs, I do just think of men's wigs. Maybe that's just me, because I'm paranoid about going bald. But um, <laughs> That's because you're going I, bald. It, it's, um... <laughs> I'm not going bald. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. We do you th- If someone said to you, oh, there's a wig in a box over there, would you expect to find a man's wig or a female, or a female wig? I guess it depends when and where. But generally, I would probably associate wigs with men. But that, but that is kind of... That is a little bit of a lost thing as well, because whereas it it was probably quite reasonably common back in the time, now 
men either wear bald with with pride there's sort of a lot more love for bald men now or you can get hair replacement and other options so i think male wen wigs are certainly a dying trade they're, they're probably not as as common as they once were i've seen plenty of videos online of people with like these really fancy wigs that you can kind of get stuck on and then they kind of cut them around you and stuff i think this the style of like syrup that um uh dell is selling is uh, very rare these days, but I think uh, I, th- I think you still find them on men. I mean, I've seen I've met men who I know are wearing wigs, especially back in the day working in a in a suit shop. Like we used to have old boys come in, and even middle aged men sometimes. And you were like, ah, "That's definitely a wig." <laughs> it's just, I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like the jokes. Like, how do you know if a man's wearing a wig? Because he's wearing a wig, like <laughs> you, you can't not see a man wearing a wig. Like no one's ever had one where you're just not very sure instantly that he's wearing a wig. I think wig technology has improved a lot. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with wigs. Oh uh, yeah, I think in a different time of life, if I'd gone, yeah, I see. You're not going to wig up, are you? No, no, I wouldn't wig up. But then I, I'll, I'll, I've probably got another. 10 15 years of having too much hair to worry about a wig but i think if i i I would have considered it if i went bald before 30 but no to to address your point i I think they um del very quickly said that the the wigs were were for all the the tarts and the nags head so i I didn't even have a chance to think about it it being male wigs but i had read the synopsis which i think sort of gave that game away so I, i kind of always knew that it was male wigs actually that he was going to receive yeah no i i remembered the the joke from just previous watches i was just thinking like it i was the audience and dell's reaction seemed strange to me um but it was clear from the audience reaction that they were surprised as well yeah so dell's been on the blow it to the actual mosque trying to get hold of mustafa oh hello is that the mosque which is a great bit <laughs> It's the bull. Like, hello, is that the mosque? It's such a mental sentence. I don't know why it's so funny, but it really is. It just really catches you off guard. You just absolutely everyone knows on so many levels how inappropriate that is instantly. Like, you're almost surprised that a mosque has a telephone, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Like, And surely they're in the middle of prayer. Like, some guy's, like, just stopping his prayer. Stopping his Alarak buzz and like, sorry, hang on a second, let's take this. Everyone, everyone, hold five. Hello, the mosque. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, the mosque. But the what are they going to do if they've got a phone? It's not like they can put it on silent back there. So you've either got to have remembered to take it off the hook before you start, or you've then got to answer it because it's bloody ringing and that will put everyone off their off their game. <laughs> Salam alaikum to all of our Muslim listeners. I don't know what that was, but it sounded great. <laughs> that yeah, that's that's a really beautiful thing. So, um, salam alaikum is is sort of a very standard Arabic greeting, which rather beautifully means uh, peace be upon you or peace to you, which is um, it's a really funny thing that everyone associates a lot of Middle Eastern stuff with you know religious extremism and stuff when the language is really so beautiful and so much of it is about peace and love and. I lived in Egypt for for a year, hence why I have some sort of knowledge of Arabic. But it, it's a beautifully poetic language, and uh, although it does sound harsh to the ear, and don't get me wrong, 
it was a little bit nerve-wracking when everyone's smashing out Arabic when you first enter an Arabic country. But when you uh, when you actually listen to it and translate it, it's outstandingly beautiful. I mean, it doesn't sound any more harsh than like Russian or German can or anything like that, you know, from certain certain dialects of those languages are, are pretty rough and ready as well. Because if you are the best, but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. The best bit of this uh, this scene for me has to be when uh, Rodney brings up how diff- and I'd never thought about this about how difficult it is to sell wigs on the streets. Well, I'll tell you what, Rodney, I will handle this the telephone sales campaign, and you will go round the pubs and see if you can flog a few there. In the pub? <laughs> How am I supposed to go up to a bald bloke in a pub and say, "Do you want to buy a wig?" I'll get my face smashed in. <laughs> Well, either improve your sales technique or learn to duck. <laughs> like, if you've got a wig shop, that's fine. The people come to you. But if you're, like, a trader, how do you... See, your job is to seek out customers. And he's selling wigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Rodney says, like... I mean, as if you're going to go up to a bald bloke, whether he's a big bloke or a small bloke, regardless, and be like, you're right, mate. Uh, fancy a wig? <laughs> got, a, got a lovely little line. It sounds like a great trigger happy TV sketch. Hello! <laughs> like someone going around with a briefcase going up to bald blokes and going Want a wig? Wanna buy a wig? I'm not sure it, I'm not sure it wasn't a trigger happy TV sketch. It, it feels like it should have been, right? It, I I feel like it something like that is is a sketch on a show like that. But oh. I can't I can't quite put it all together in my head, but there's there's something like that there. Dom Jolly did do similar things where he approached members of public trying to sell them various items and stuff like that. I don't think that it was ever wigs, but, you know, you can have that one on us, Dom. Don't even want any money for it. I mean, I'll have money for it, but... uh, (laughs) Someone could just pass that on to Mr. Jolly. How very appropriate on our Christmas episode. (laughs) (laughs) What a shit little fucking joint. Uh. So we do a little cut through time We're still in the flat but it's a bit later Rodney is on the sofa watching TV And uh, he sort of goes off on one About the state of the planet And uh, a quick little quote About what he says When are people going to realise That we do not own this planet We are merely the leaseholders It is our duty to maintain our world But what are we doing eh? We are suffocating the forest With carbon monoxide and that is causing the polar ice cap to melt, which means that the oceans will rise and the Thames will flood, like, permanently. But we've still got the Thames barrier. That's not going to do a lot of good under 15 foot of water, is it? I mean, that is pretty mad. That's quite ahead of its time. This this is 30 years ago, and basically we're still saying the same thing. But I mean, he was saying the same thing 10 episodes ago. Uh, but 10 years ago, in, in, like, the first series, he was a... Uh... You know, environmental warrior and talking about the ozone layer and stuff like this. This has been a an increasing problem for like 30, 40 years. Like I think early 80s, late 70s is when people started to really get aware of, of this kind of stuff. And it has just been a an increasing concern and an increasing awareness of it over time. But it's. Yeah, it's. It, it feels really new and modern, but it kind of isn't. It's kind of been around a long time now. 
I think the shame here is that much like is often the case today it's seen as being quite uh, a niche um, young person's kind of view like he's mocked for the vegetarianism no one really cares like there's that great joke of uh, in in a second where he says you know Sting's got the ump <laughs> um, because you know Sting was a big conservationist <laughs> Um, and it's great that we had Sting just uh, a couple of episodes ago, and uh, when we had the police track, and I was we were taking the piss out of Sting as well. Um, but and of course, all of this for me is then completely undermined when we we find out what Rodney's real problem is. What what's really bothering you? Oh, so many things worrying me. You know, I mean. The polar cap is melting. The continental shelves are shifting. The rainforest is dying. The sea is being poisoned. And I ain't had a bit for months. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is a bit of a shame that the whole thing is overshadowed. And for sure, he's obviously... He is frustrated in, in more ways than one. Um, but... <laughs> I still think it's like an important thing to actually. I, I think it should be thought provoking, even though it's sort of. It's almost the point is is destroyed a little bit because he's sort of saying that basically he wants to get his end away. I still think it kind of stands, and I thought it was really interesting that that it was even on the on the lips of of people thirty years ago. So we get another quick cut, and it's either the same day or, or very close to it. And Dell is on the bangers and mash, as I alluded to a bit earlier. He's still smashed down the food. And he's talking about the fact that he bumped into our least ever favourite character, Stephen, uh, the the super yuppie, who has uh, oh. gone and got a ponytail, because apparently it's all the fashion in the city. I, I vaguely, obviously not not remembering as in walking around and seeing people have it, because um, I would have been too young, but I do kind of remember that being a thing in the early 90s, like Little Rat's Tales. I associate, associate it with, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger bad guys or something like that in, like, his films. Like, there's just a, a thing in my <laughs> that eye. Like the that long the... hair, though, right? Yeah, kind I of. I think, is it, was it... Steven Seagal always had the long hair ponytail right back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like the little rat's tail thing was a was a weird fashion thing in the early 90s. Um, like, God, that one's left. Uh, but then again, like curtains, it'll probably come back. On If I see another middle parting on a teenager, I'm, I might just go mad. It's never left in New Zealand. A rat's tail is still a thing that some of the Utes uh, still take hold. Oh really? I do actually quite like it though. I can't lie. There's something about it that they'd have like normal hair, but then just a really long rat's tail. And I'm talking about not even like the one that Rodney has, where there's some hair coming down towards the bow, as in it is just literally a single slither of oh like, yeah, a centimeter line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very Maori thing. A lot of the Maori kids um, have it, and I don't know. It's just cool, man. There's something about it. Well, yeah. If it's culturally interesting, then that's that's one thing. But this is this is not that. No, I think this is culturally <laughs> to do with like uh, the a similar thing to do with mythology, like um, having the long hair is like a sign of a good warrior, like not having their hair, hair cut off and stuff like that, sort of a, a a sign of age and a rite of passage. But it's definitely not what what uh, Rodney ends up wearing moments later, which does look like a rat. 
We then have Raquel wandering. She's been considering baby names. Seems a little bit late to have only made it to the very first page of the baby name book because her suggestion is, although weirdly pronounced, Aaron, which is famously the very... Well, she says Aaron, but she means Aaron, right? No, it's two different names. How do you spell Aaron? Uh, I've written it um, phonetically, so I've written A-I-R-O-N, Aaron. Well, because I've written Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, which is famously the first name in the book, because it's double A, and that's kind of what I thought this was. I was like, this is Raquel, like, two days before she's going to pop, go, well, I better open that book, the first name, that'll do. What do you think, Del? (laughs) Aaron is only one-upped by an even worse choice by Del, who... Comes up with Troy, Troy Trotter. <laughs> Troy Trotter's that's, that re, that re, uh, reaction from Raquel is awesome because the name Troy is just sorry to any Troys out there ridiculous in this kind of situation and this family. And when Raquel says Troy Trotter with such genuine disdain, it's brilliant. But then we get the moment where Rodney suggests Damien, and I was curious to see how. Uh, David Jason and Tessa sort of acted this out because I think it probably one of the hardest things to act, I think, is like something that you already know acting as a surprise and when it especially when it doesn't actually sound good. So you have to actually sound surprised to a name that isn't a great name and sounds ridiculous and make that believable. And genuinely they, they both do a great job. I just love the fact that first Raquel chose the first name in the book and instead she's going for the very next suggestion, except for Troy, which we can basically discount. (laughs) But she was like, anything other than Troy will basically do. And it's like, Damien, done. (laughs) (laughs) She, she, like, this is a woman who, she's in her, like, mid-late 30s, I believe, at this point in, in the show and in real life. I mean, you would have thought she had a few years to think about it, but nope, she's just... That'll do. She's not going to. Oh, she's not an overthinker. Is is our Raquel? <laughs> and they come up with the uh, Derek. Of course, was going to be the most appropriate of of middle names. DDT. Uh, we then eventually get a call from uh, Cassandra, and Rodney is his typical aloof, cocky self. And by cocky, I mean not as in he's being cocky. I mean he's being a cock. <laughs> and. And yeah, just pre- pretends to not be interested, but then can't wait to run out the door and uh, <laughs> see what she wants in the prey that uh, all might, all may be well in the end. So we're back at uh, Cassandra's flat. Um, I- I'm actually just opening a, a new beer as we go into that because we spoke about what you're drinking, but but not what I was drinking. So I was working my way uh, through my advent calendar, and um, because I'm a nice brother what i'd been doing is um saving all of my beers through the week to then drink them with bobby who's a beer ponce and likes hearing about these sort of things i prefer beer professional (laughs) yeah and then basically show and telling bobby the uh the beers that i'm drinking as i'm drinking them so i've had a couple of uh standard session ipas nothing too heavy but what i've just Poured myself now as a tiramisu pastry stout, a cool nine point two percent. It is not messing around. 
and uh, yeah, thick and syrupy. So that that's my drink of choice now. I'm sure no one's interested, but I am. So suck it. I am. It sounds interesting. Oh my good god. That is sweet. so sweet. So, so sweet. <laughs> I can't believe you knew it before I even said it. Wow. Good how sweet pastry shouts up. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like when someone, you ask for a coffee with one sugar and uh, someone gives you five sugars <laughs> instead of one. <laughs> See, it's, it's interesting. It's <laughs> I, I've currently got an 11% pastry stout sitting in a fermenter waiting to be turned into like a cinnamon swirl coffee pastry stout and mm. I really like it but I know it isn't probably as sweet as people who drink that sort of thing all the time would think but you'd probably love it as it is so I'm just wondering if we're going to make it sweeter I think this is a big can though this is a 440ml can which is a big a big can for something that sweet. I know for some for some mental reason someone decided that pastry really strong pastry stouts come in big cans. I don't know who did this and whoever it is needs a slap, but it it's just become uh become the most common way to serve huge like the people who put their nice normal six percent stout in a three thirty can, and then they'll put their fucking eleven percent, ten percent pastry stout that no fucker can barely drink on their own in a <laughs> half liter can. It's I don't know who decided that, but it's happened and it's very annoying. Because they're also they're also really expensive. That's the problem. Mm. Is like over here, you'll drop a a tenner on one of them. Yeah, th- this wasn't cheap. This was nearing a fiver just for this can. Um, mm. And although my initial reaction is, um, shit me, that's super sweet. Uh, now I've had like three sips and sort of rebalanced my palate to the sweetness. <laughs> now I'm so happy that I have a shitload of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to transition to anything else though, because this is full on dessert. So I have to imagine a sort of cheese course after this dessert, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Go for the sour next. Oh yeah, got sour. I've got a sour. Yeah, that was what you have. Clean your palate with it's the a, sour. It's a sour IPA though, so I don't know what that means. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that that, bit, that bitter will uh, clean out the sweetness as well. Perfect. Nice. Probably is probably is my uh, palate consultant. <laughs> <laughs> So Rodney has gone full rogue and decided to rock up at Cassandra's with a clipped-on ponytail, the absolute nutter. Yeah, this was a bad idea from Go, really, wasn't it? <laughs> and from very quickly, yeah, just from the second it started. And I think he knows it as well. He seems very unsure from from the first moment, but he's he's trying to commit to the bit. But very quickly he finds out that Cassandra has also recently jumped into Stephen and found his ponytail to be hilarious. And so therefore Rodney panics and rather than putting the ponytail in his pocket or something a normal human would do, he just discards it on the floor where any bugger will find it. And does. And does. 
they're talking about this brilliant idea of compounding all of the problems that they have by adding another party in the form of an animal, which is pretty horrendous advice from their literally uh, the worst idea I've ever heard from their solicitor. It's like it's why like, is she why is she speaking to a lawyer about this or a solicitor and not a psychologist? What is a solicitor doing giving fucking relationship advice? Yeah, and she's like, oh, you said that we should try and talk it out, and it's like, well. What else have you been doing semaphore this whole time? Like, <laughs> clearly, isn't smoke working. signals across London. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's get a dog that will solve all of our problems. No, it won't. <laughs> yeah, let's give ourselves more work and combined responsibility. That'll make us see eye to eye. But this whole scene is a little bit weird. It, it's kind of a bit awkward. It it changes sort of feeling and tempo. It, Cassandra's sort of smiling and sort of laughing and there's jokes, but then they're arguing. But then they kind of are trying to solve their problems and then saying that they can't solve their problems. And then they argue and then they laugh. Just got no idea what is going on between these two. I mean, (laughs) in, in one way, I think it's really poorly written, but in the other way, it kind of suits them perfectly. So it's kind of accidentally brilliant. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah, interesting. That's not really how I I read it. I thought it felt quite obviously the jokes are embellished, but it felt quite quite real to me actually. That way that you jump in a con- in a serious conversation with your partner, you will find yourselves kind of jumping on any easy joke to try and lighten the mood, and then maybe the other person will respond, but maybe they'll try and call it back to seriousness. I mean, this was another scene for me, a bit like in the last episode. It was the last episode, wasn't it? Yeah. A bit like in the last episode where I thought Cassandra was brilliant and really reasonable and nice. And apart from her terrible idea about the getting a pet, um, I, I felt like she was the one trying to really make amends and she was trying to be the peacekeeper. And... I think she started off in that role, but then halfway through, she's a bit of a dick as well and dismisses any other pet idea. Not that it's a good idea, but does just dismiss them all. So, I don't know. As as she says, they're, they're both to blame. Yeah, they are definitely both to blame. But that's the thing. Things like her saying that is what makes her the sensible one. Like, she phoned Ro- uh, Rodney and Rodney pretend to be, like, busy and not bothered and all aloof. Well, she's come round to go, look, we're both being stupid let's both work together to figure this out and i don't think like that's something that rodney has the uh the, the maturity to to do but literally earlier that day or the day before when, whenever it was in the timeline they'd gone out and cassandra was like yeah it's over uh there's no more us it's all finished and then two days later it's like do you want to come around for a chat maybe we can sort this out get lost love what are you doing she's obviously playing around with him like Fair play in, in person, she may be the taking the higher road sometimes, but she clearly has no idea what she's doing. You make a good point. However, my little headcanon on that bit would be, we weren't there for that conversation, so we're getting Rodney's second-hand account. Maybe he's just being dramatic and she said nothing like that. I mean, he says quite unequivocally that it is over in like five different ways. Like she said it is over, she said we are no more, she said there's no way that she said, Oh, maybe we can make this work. Like she she has definitely said that. She's definitely put a finite end to it all to then basically backtrack a day later. 
was so trying to avoid a 10 minute rant about Rodney and Cassandra. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not argue. They're both useless. Um... I love when they're discussing the pets and I think that's as good a place to end this little discussion as anything is how this is rounded out. All right, let's get a dog. Let's get a Doberman. Let the sod rip my limbs off and drink me blood. I don't care as long as you're happy. At this moment in time, that would make me ecstatic, Roger. Right, fine. I'm going down the nags. I'm going down the nags. Cassandra takes the piss and... Uh, inverted comma says, I'm going to the nag's head just before Rodney does. And that that's sort of enough to to break the mood down and uh, and bring it all back to earth. And it seems like there's some something, some sort of hope, some sort of glimmer of light in the background. And, and just as that's going on, Cassandra spots what she thinks is a rat. And uh, yeah, Rodney decides to, you know, run with it, play the hero. Um, manages to to grab hold of said rat slash ponytail, and then this newly proclaimed vegetarian decides to chuck the rat out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> that that's wicked. I really like that take because I I thought it was ridiculous. Did, did you not get that? <laughs> well, I I thought it was ridiculously aggressive. He threw it out the window. I did also make a note of that and thinking. Was that entirely necessary? Like, put it in a box and go and let it out downstairs. That's what a normal human would do. But he throws it out of the whatever fourth-story window and just watches it go splat. But the fact he's a, a recent vegetarian really is... I, I'd not I'd not taken that into account. Talking about the state of our world and all of the cruel things we do on the planet. I, I happen to love rats. Rats are, rats are very cute, lovely animals. And rats are great. I, Screw anyone that thinks different. So after committing raticide, <laughs> Roddy then runs back in the living room to get a nice big hero hug from Cassandra. Oh, very good. Have you just made that one up as well? I have, yeah. <laughs> Your face after that raticide joke. So pleased with myself. So delighted. What's extra good about it is uh, the rat, the Latin name for a rat is Ratus Ratus, right? So it's probably correct. As in homicide is because we're humanoids. Exactly. And patricide is your father and matricide is your mother. And, you know. Wow. Weird knowledge. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) So we're back in the Trotter's flat and. Raquel's starting to get her contractions and uh, Del decides to call Cassandra to find out where Rodney is and um, he says that, that he does kind of really want Rodney here and honestly this this kind of this really affected me this bit I, um, I, I don't mean to get like crazy deep I am a few beers down now but um, okay. I, I kind of thought about some of the shames of uh some of our proximity and that the fact that obviously we're not in the same place anymore. Bob and I are, as, as you've probably gathered, pretty damn close. But um, I, I unfortunately was not there for the, the birth of his child. Uh, and, you wouldn't and, have been invited. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean literally there. I wouldn't have come to the hospital. 
but just in general, you know, I didn't share the moment with you precisely in, no, in no, that yeah. way. It would have nice been in th- to be in the same township at least while it was <laughs> while it was happening. But yeah, it just kind of felt a bit of a shame. We 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 haven't actually drawn. We don't draw that many comparisons to to Dan and Rodney to us all the time, but but they are massively there. We we are like crazy crazy close. And we've lived in different countries for how long have you been there? Eight years, nine years? Yeah, eight and a half, I think. It kind of affected me. Dell's vulnerability when it comes through, especially as the older brother, sort of saying that that he wanted Rodney there. Dell has real moments of vulnerability and weakness, and and as useless as Rodney is, like he massively leans on. Rodney in sort of times of emotion and needs and just just that single line kind of you know it just kind of hit me hit me in the feels and the man feelings Dell needs Rodney man I need you man I need you brother <laughs> it's probably my, my reaction couldn't have been more the opposite which is what the fuck are you doing inviting your brother to the hospital for during, <laughs> during your wife giving birth neither of you need that it made me chuckle. I, I enjoyed Albert's panic to the whole situation. That was fun. Dell's very cool-headed. They've got it all planned out because that's what modern pregnancies are all about. It was nice to see that... I was curious to see if that was a thing kind of back then. Like, now it's all, like, Lamar's classes and, and like, getting your hospital bag together. I don't know. I thought that was, like, a really modern thing. But um, it was interesting to see it was still the same sort of 30 years ago. You know, you've got your pre-packed hospital bag ready to go. Like, uh, ready for action. I remember that really well. And uh, this was the bit I was kind of really intrigued about, was, you know, getting into the birth and just kind of making my own comparisons with my own life experience. But the the one thing throughout this whole kind of rest of the episode that is so dramatically different is the wanting of guests and, and like, additional people around. It's It's such a TV trope to do that. To always have, I, I think it was like a Friends episode. There's like all of them there in the hospital, and one of them's giving like they're all giving birth, and you always see that on TV. Like everyone's got their entire family around, and I don't know if other maybe other people do do that, but that just seems really odd to me. Like it felt like a very very uh, private moment in the hospital, and I couldn't imagine like having people wandering in all the time in the hospital i was so in my own world in my own headspace i was uh yeah that that was kind of the last thing on my mind i kind of felt i had enough going on <laughs> it's pretty telling isn't it this I, i've i've observed this moment as sort of a beautifully vulnerable moment for dale which in many occasions dale is trembling and saying that he wants rodney with him you know, he he wants him here when he's scared, when he's ill in sickness and wealth, and in other points where he's having problems, he leans on his massively younger brother, and here's me like you know talking about all this <laughs> loveliness and closeness, and you're like, don't want anyone near me, screw everyone, like, <laughs> cheers, bruv, <laughs> trying to get deep here, three beers down, and you're uh, like, I couldn't want to see a single other face except my missus. <laughs> And my child, of course. Well, that was me trying to get deep, and this, this is, this is, that's as far as our relationship goes. So maybe I should step back a little bit. But um... <laughs> oh, I think we've struck a nerve. 
<laughs> oh no, Jamie and Bobby are arguing again. <laughs> well, I'm pretty pretty glad I wasn't there for the birth of your child because it sounds like I would have been fucking unwelcome. So um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't even like him. So <laughs> little prick. <laughs> So we do, we cut to the hospital and there's some quite fun like uh, background sound effects and by fun I mean harrowing um, <laughs> <laughs> as kind of people are clearly suffering. <laughs> Didn't write that down. Um, <laughs> I'm just, just going to tell me all the jokes that you're out living now. <laughs> oh God. And... <laughs> Oh, we've really lost this one. Yeah, but Raquel's having contractions, screaming out like a good one, and Rodney's in the wings without prophesizing this coming of the devil. And uh, <laughs> they they do a really good job of this. That there's quite a few different fades of of time passing, and even though this sort of comes in in the, in the last five ten minutes of the episode they they do a great job of making it feel like it's dragging we get like a few different cuts for time we get a little fade of the clock like it it, it does feel like it's taken a long time and uh yeah Raquel eventually starts going into like fairly heavy labor and there's just this ridiculous moment where uh the midwife has his head right up in there, somehow loses his wig, literally on Raquel's ladies' parts, as he comes up and Del thinks that he's seeing the head of his own child. I mean, the the mental image at that point is there is quite literally the midwife's wig laying across her lady garden. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not the most hygienic of uh, things, is it? No, not hygienic. And why is his head that close? I mean, your head does have to get pretty close, but... uh, Really? Does your head really need to come within a foot of that? They get all up in that. With their hands? (laughs) He's not not taking it out with his teeth, mate. (laughs) I, I may not have been there present for a childbirth, but I know that a midwife's head does not need to be within a foot of the woman's bits surely no you're right I mean arms but you're not stretching your arm out because that would be weird Um, but it is like a it's a bent arm so it's probably like a foot and a half you're close but you're not so close (laughs) that your head's wig is literally landing down there that that is odd I mean you're not really sure unless he's what he might have just done if he's doing the old um, heartbeat on the stomach thing which we see him do but I mean he doesn't look like he's doing that he's too low (laughs) It is going on, but we eventually get to the, the action. The baby is really coming, and we get a lot of, as the subtitles described them, agonising cries from Raquel, <laughs> which was particularly graphic and correct. The whole scene is really graphic. You get a lot of a lot of screaming and on and mm. genuinely um, TPJ, as I may well 
prefer to her from now on because it's getting a mouthful keep calling her Tessa Pete Jones um, is is really doing an amazing job she looks like shit she's uh, sweating like hell Abs- she does genuinely seem really knackered and constantly screaming her lungs out like um, just just constantly getting more respect for, for Tess as, she, as she's sort of fulfilling all of these different roles She's uh, she nails everything. She's brilliant. Yeah, I I thought it was great. I think she I she looks distressed, and uh, I did find it interesting how um, how loud she was. And I know it's a thing now where this has been a, quite a recent change in uh, midwifery, I guess, where they do actually specifically say don't scream and shout. Like you need to direct that energy downwards. So they're saying like. You know, that's, try that's to... funny, hey? Because in in martial arts, a lot of the time you're encouraged to. I think it's called key up, where you uh, you're encouraged to shout out because it helps with sort of ferocity, or maybe it's more of a a psychological tactic. But I'm sure it's supposed to aid in. I believe that the two things with the key up are intimidation and emptying the lungs. So if you get punched, you don't get winded. Ah. Uh... Uh, I might I might roll with that, but that seems to ring a bell from back from from my old taekwondoing days. But uh, I mean, with this, I mean you're you're pushing, and as you know, when you when you go for a shit, do you shout or do you hold your breath? You hold your breath, don't you? Yeah, I do. Like it, it's a silly. It seems like a silly analogy, but you do. You 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 actually kind of hold it for those seconds that you're you're pushing. And I can't believe I'm still doing this. Um, and so actually, it's the same now. And what I did uh, like, it's though, actually quite is, hard to scream while you're pushing. Exactly, which is the kind of the point. That's why they don't. They really tried to say you, that screaming thing was very kind of like it's it's a voluntary thing from the pain, but it's actually not very helpful. Um, yeah. Th- then again, I've never tried to uh, take a shit and poo out a baby. At which point, I imagine no, I'd I've never probably tried to be pass screaming baby. Like, like fuck. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very different situation. I'm going to tell any woman how to give birth. I'm just going to say the advice I heard secondhand. <laughs> Um, but I did, I did like how the thing that really uh, resonated with me from my experience was between the contractions when it's actually weirdly calm and they're just like relax, breathe, just breathe, and it, that's such an odd thing you don't expect. You expect the whole thing that once it's going, it's kind of going, but actually it's like contraction, crazy intense pressure and pushing in there, and then it's like for thirty seconds you'll just be like. Oh. Just like breathing, relaxing, then come to the next one. And this, it's these very odd moments of calm and stress uh, that I thought they portrayed really well in, in the show. And I actually just had a quick look here online about whether Tessa Peak Jones had had a kid by the time this scene she was hadn't. done. Ne- neither David Jason or Tessa Peak Jones. She gave her first being in 1991, which is the air day, which means she wouldn't have had the kid yet, but was maybe no. pregnant or coming close to it. Well, th- this was filmed in the February, so I don't know when her kid was born, but it was this was quite early in the year. But I did read that oh. neither neither Tessa Pete Jones or Dave Jason were parents at the time. So to make the scene more realistic, they took advice from the midwives at uh, West Middlesex Hospital, where they were where they were filming the scene. So they were sort of consulting on the on the professionals. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That because I did think that uh, yeah, Raquel's performance was was very very good, and uh, yeah, 
good, good research. So the labour scene seemingly goes on forever, which I, I realise is a little bit rich coming from me, who's never had a child. But um, but uh, they, they they do a good job of making it seem so. But finally, after all of the, the screams and the pushes, we do hear the cries of the baby echoing through the hospital. So uh, so all, all through this scene, I was kind of waiting to see because I'd had a few as well, which helps. Um, I was wondering if at any point I'd find this emotional because, as I say, it's the first time I'd watched it since having gone through the experience myself. And this is the bit that got me, was when the baby started crying, which I'm sure to you will sound incredibly cringe and pathetic. But I've always said the most memorable, I think, like little five seconds of my life is the five seconds between when the baby is born when they actually start crying there's a horrible gap there that no one tells you about where the baby is out you see it everything seems good although it's pretty fucking like lifeless it's just like a big octopus famously lifeless (laughs) like a dead one but but before they start crying (laughs) and and that few seconds is horrific like awful you just assume something has gone wrong or something despite the fact that you've no real reason to be uh, we had a str- slightly stressful experience but it wasn't too crazy and i re- i just remember the the hearing my son cry was like th- th- an incredibly emotional relieving experience it was really incredible and so when i finally heard this baby start crying that that was a bit i'm pretty much from here onwards i'm fairly Fairly emotional throughout the rest of the episode. How uh, how quickly did the novelty of hearing your child cry wear off? A couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a little bit longer than you'd think, but not as long as people would probably admit. <laughs> so, um, I I I got emotional at the scenes of the uh, the brotherliness, which Bobby no longer does because it's been superseded by his child. So. <laughs> It's nice to know that I got relegated in the importance of his life, but you know, I, I can't understand that. I, I I just live for me still. So, what can you do? So, um, Dell comes out and he's clearly very filled with emotion. He's he's calling out to Rodney about the kid and sort of giving updates about seeing the head and it being out. and And Rodney asks if it what sex it is, and he has to go in to double check and. Like that's not the first thing you check. It like you would check that first. I'm pretty sure that no child has ever been pulled out of a woman, and the person doing it hasn't gone. It's a uh, whenever, whatever. Sex yeah, no, it is. that is definitely true. So, so either he's forgotten, or the midwife's been a bit too concerned with his toupee that he doesn't have anymore. But uh, he goes in to check, and it and it is indeed a boy. And uh, we get the the first ever moment of a continuing theme of this fairly intense classical music playing over the baby looking back at Rodney. I feel weird talking about it, but then they do it so often. I felt like I could let the first one slide and the second one I considered writing it down. And then the third one, I was like, right, I literally have to write, make a note of this. So we get the first of three dick jokes. It's very weird that they do it three times. 
to repeat any joke three times seems odd, especially a joke as kind of edgy as that. However, random bit of biological trivia, um, that area is actually heavily uh, enlarged during birth. And so actually, Dell's observation is common at birth. Just for anyone who wasn't aware. I don't even know how to react to that. All I'm picturing now is baby penises. Uh, it's not what I was hoping to go into on the podcast. Yeah, you don't ever want to say that because if someone cuts it, then uh, you're in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we're ending on this very famous scene, very quaint and beautiful. It is Dell with his monologue to his son out of the hospital window, originally uh, addressing his mum, but then but then addressing Damien. And uh, yeah, this was, of course, all, all the feels, very emotional. I... Uh, Really, really enjoyed this scene. It's beautifully acted, uh, really nicely put together, quite subtle. Um, not not overdone, but also obviously trying to hit you in the feels, but I don't feel like they really overdo it. So yeah, lovely, lovely little bit. I muck about and make you laugh. Because I've mucked about all my life. And I never knew the reason why until now. This is what it's all about. I was born for this moment. Yes. Oh, we're going to have such fun. We are. You mark my words. This time next year, we'll be millionaires. It's funny, hey, for, for all the similarities and things that we're the same, there there are so many things that are, that are polar opposite. The last two minutes of this scene completely, I I would basically turned off. I I knew the end of the episode was coming, <laughs> and I just had no emotional involvement in it at all. I thought it, I I don't know if it's just because I was thinking ahead to things like the music and a, a summary or whatever, but um, I I'd sort of I'd already had my emotional moments and, and come out of it, but. Anyway, uh, did you watch the credits all the way to the end? No. So it's it's kind of amazing, but we got a really weird and very unique sort of almost eighties thing. So normally, what happens in Any Falls is it either goes to the the black and white hooky street, or it plays out in freeze frames. But what actually happens on this episode is it changes, and we get this like. 80s film idea like like an old like in that happens in predator and a few other films where we where you go onto the the actor and they're, they're looking away from the camera and then they they're kind of doing something and they look at the camera and smile and he goes you know arnold schwarzenegger and whatever and we get that moment in only fools and horses and it is <laughs> oh kind, kind of amazing um you got the whole family there uh del raquel albert Rodney and the kid, they're all standing around Raquel, he's got the baby they're all looking down at the kid and then they all turn to camera and then they just smile and it's a live shot for about five seconds of them all staying perfectly still while the credits roll, This at the end of the credits roll and that's it and it was 
so unique, but kind of also really funny because it was cheesy as shit. I'm just watching it now. I'd not seen it at all when I watched the episode. I'm I'm so pleased you did because that would have been a shame to miss. That is so weird. It's so it's so shit and pointless <laughs> because it completely breaks the fourth wall. And for what? Like if you make it just a freeze frame, you can you can say okay, well, they just took a family photo or whatever. But this is just so like. Yeah, I'm I'm really not a fan of, of breaking the fourth wall in this way, and it's just for nothing. It's just so weird. Well, th- this was kind of my, my thought on it, was that th- that whole thing specifically, the way that they did the outro, uh, this is another example of us not knowing what was going on at the time, but it kind of feels as though maybe this was the end of Only Fools and Horses. Like, maybe there wasn't more commissioned, maybe there wasn't an idea for more series because as i said earlier this was filmed in february the next episode doesn't come out till christmas of the following year so it's a long way away if it hadn't been commissioned if we look back at this episode if you're going to end the whole series it's not a bad way to end it cass and rodney are back together dell's had a kid and that kind of last glance and look up to the camera only force could have could have ended there if there wasn't requirement for more and that's kind of what that felt like it kind of felt like you know happy families everyone's good maybe that sort of commission hadn't already been rubber stamped on the one hand i think that's really interesting and you're right it could have ended there that could have been it no more only falls and that is a quite a nice wrap-up i don't think i've ever heard anyone talk about that as a possible ending however it is only 10 months until the next episode comes out. Like, it sounds like, you know, it's Christmas special. It's only 10 months away, and it's a big one. So th- there's no way that hadn't already been commissioned. They probably already started filming by the time that this episode is shown. But possibly when they filmed it, they didn't know. So it's entirely possible, and... Yeah, interesting. Maybe they're cov- covering all the bases, but that's what it felt mm. like. It, it felt like, in, like, a lot of time when you have... Uh films now they they film the end open-ended because it means that yeah if everyone loves it there might be a sequel but maybe there isn't so you kind of need to leave a minor cliffhanger but also wrap it up at the same time mm. and, it, and it kind of felt um felt a little bit like that so yeah uh quite interesting um but but in regards to the episode itself what did what did you think i did really enjoy it i thought it was uh a very it did remind me a lot of the last episode because it was very funny and light-hearted a lot in the start and then we had this very emotional kind of third act uh, crescendo which is really similar to to the last episode and for me obviously personally it was very emotional I mean that that kind of window scene at the end I'm you know I'm teary-eyed I won't lie and I felt they hit all those bases really well, the way that they weaved in the emotions and the jokes. I mean, they, I could see why you why you found the last two minutes a bit meh, because there kind of weren't any jokes really beyond Raquel, cover yourself up. That was kind of the last gag. And then that was it. So maybe they're going to lose some people there, but I love that emotional outro. And I think it was, it's hard to pull off those pregnancy baby um 
things in in TV shows. Like loads of TV shows do it. Some do it well. Some do it terribly. And I think this was a really good example. I think they did this better than they did uh, Rodney's Wedding, for example, which I felt was something they kind of brushed over not so well. This seemed like something that they took their time over more and we really kind of lived in the moment and we went through it with them in a way that I felt we we didn't get to do with Rodney in the wedding. And so I, I really enjoyed that and I thought it was brilliantly executed. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I am not heartless. Um, and the, uh, there are loads of brilliant emotional parts of Only Fools that I really, really love. The only reason that the last two minutes lost, not lost me, but I, I just, I was just distracted at that point. I was just sort of away from it. And I'd kind of already gone through sort of the emotion, emotion building through. So the end wasn't sort of paying off. But in terms of the, the broader episode, I I really really liked it. You, you spoke a couple of episodes ago about uh, stage fright and class of sixty two being a good sort of uh, thing to sit someone down and show them. And you were saying that it was, you know, it shows the funny side and the not serious side, and then the the plot driven part. Um, and you also said about some of the emotional side, but I think that actually those two episodes were were lacking in some of that. And actually, this episode then for me brings the trifecta of of actually what only fours can be and if we look at those three episodes now i think it kind of completes that circle the stage fright is the the silliness and the the real simple jokes you got class of 62 which is the the very plot driven and uh well thought out and then this episode is the emotion this is the 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 family and the don't the, forget he ain't heavy he's my uncle of course yeah um yeah so we we often forget about that because of the the way that it's sort of edited and released but they they may not be consecutive but in in terms of representing only falls as a series and and in those later parts where you know it, it it's very confident in itself and where it stands I think those three episodes are are, are a very good representation of the three sides the the silly the clever and the emotional and and that sort of completed that that circle for me but yeah it, it was a super strong episode um the, the the plot did move forwards the the sort of subplot and the b and c stories of of rodney and the wigs was the wigs was great it was nicely sprinkled in in places but but didn't really dominate the episode but was a a, a great sort of source of comedy I thought it was a properly rounded episode, a really, really nicely rounded episode um, in regards to talking about the sort of only full strengths and, um, yeah, a strong start, a nice emotional end. It it did feel like a perfect way to end the the standard series, as as we were saying. There's... The, the sort of series concept is now left by the wayside and uh, and it felt like a, a, a perfect way to, to end it and, and finish it all up. Top-notch episode. Uh, it is only an 8.8 and a, and a par episode, but I actually think it probably surpasses that, really. I think that was... I think it was a lot better than that. Yeah, I think episodes like this are always going to split an audience a little bit just because some people don't enjoy the emotional stuff as much and some people don't care about the family stuff as much i think this was a, an episode designed 
for for people that enjoy that sort of stuff and i think uh, you know whether you're a parent or not it's going to have an impact on how much you enjoy the episode um so yeah it, it was not one of those that i think is going to have that's going to be such a massive hit with everyone but it is objectively a great episode there's no doubt about it but that is it for that and we now have to look forward to an absolute monster because it is essentially an only fools and horses film now yeah they've split across two episodes and um i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that i'm looking forward to the next two episodes more than any episode we've ever done and that that sounds really outlandish and i kind of foreshadowed this earlier in our recordings but um I I'm pretty sure that I've only seen Miami twice once and I'm not sure that I've ever seen both parts like like properly like actually sat and watched them so it almost feels like uh, I know nothing about them I know the massively broad concept but I can tell you I could tell you nothing that's gone on and for someone that considers themselves like an only fools and horses a file or whatever. I, I genuinely know nothing about this. I'm I'm going in blank and that although it might be it might be hard to admit, I'm super excited for that. I'm I'm giddy with excitement. I I've definitely seen these two episodes very little compared to most. I remember the last time I watched them uh, was probably when I did my last kind of Only Fools and Horses full run through, which was with the misses about five years ago. Since then, it's just been really the odd episode, um, which is weird. I don't think it's something I've ever admitted on pod before that it's been that long since I've done a like a full run through. But um, I remember having big reservations then about the episode. I remember liking it a bit more than I thought, but this is an episode that splits the fan base a lot. A lot of people have very strong feelings about this pair of specials. I mean, it's if I remember rightly, it's a fifty-minute, and then an hour and a half, and then an hour and fifteen. So it's basically two. It is two hours of mm. you know split into two episodes. How many episodes will split that into? I'm not sure. I think it'll probably be three total. But yeah, there, there's going to be a lot to go through. This is this is big budget. You know, trip across the Atlantic crazy stuff i mean it's miami twice this is this is as big as only fools miami gets. baby oh yeah welcome to my oh there's gonna be so many will smith drops it's gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> i was one of the reasons i was looking up the ratings was precisely for what you said miami twice is one of the episodes which uh at, at least in my head i have down as something that does split the fan base and a lot of people don't like but actually it's rated really really well it's actually in the sort of upper echelons the top 25 percent in terms of imdb ratings so it's not actually slated that bad from what i understand the the concept or the the storyline is a little bit far-fetched um but the fact that it's rated so well makes me think that it that there must be so much good in there that means that that element of it actually doesn't hinder it. So there must be some really good stuff in there to to keep it rated so well amongst the hard fans. 
I, I think I'm going to have some very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> when have we not? <laughs> I, I, I predict some heavy criticising monologues coming up. Who knows? We shall look forward to that. I'm saving those for the uh, the last three episodes, which I'm not looking forward to watching. <laughs> oh, there's some there's some real mixed bag stuff coming up. Um, right, well, that's enough. I've no lot. I've no idea how long this episode is going to be when you're done editing it. But just to pull back the curtain, we have never been more blasé about an evening's record, and we've basically just sat <laughs> and talked to each other for about three hours, which is insane. And I think you will cut it down to a regular kind of hour, hour and a half episode. But this this has been a very odd but incredibly enjoyable evening. <laughs> I hope it's become an okay podcast. <laughs> it's so funny to have no idea what, what it's like on the record and then go into the edit. We went on so many personal tangents, lots of beers, lots of pissing, lots of breaks that you never hear. And... Uh, and, and yeah, it feels so discombobulated in my brain, but hopefully it's all right. <laughs> I think we normally cut around 20%, probably, maybe 30 maximum. But this one you've got to basically cut in half because there's just <laughs> been so much bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a labour of love, this. I mean, if anyone's still sticking around after this, then... You know, more power to them. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> the real hangers on. Well, just before we go into the last thing, which is the music, um, I do want to thank you all for hanging on. Uh, it, it, it's been an absolutely crazy year for, for all of us, I think. So with Christmas just around the corner, if you are catching this just before Christmas, have a really good holiday. Uh, obviously make the the most of it we've not not been so lucky to embrace and be around the people that we we love so much and with only fools and horses being such a a family orientated podcast it it feels right to just sort of wish you and your your family and your kin a merry christmas and and hope that you do have a really good time thanks for everyone for their support and messages and everything and and let's hope for a a great year for everyone next year here here so what are you playing for the music, Jay? So I had a couple of short lists, as it were. I was tempted to play the the song that we get when we look into Damien's eyes, which is Carl Orth O Fortuna, which is the very intent classical operatic stuff, but we have already sampled that, so not gonna go with that. That would be too obvious. I did have a really, really good song that I was thinking about playing, but it was so loose. Um, it wouldn't have fit, but in the end, it has again fallen to Bobby. Although I don't feel as though you deserve it, seeing as though you dismissed all of my brotherly love to this week. <laughs> but Bobby has suggested yet again a, a rather good tune. I might just give this to you as a job. Frankly, I edit the whole thing. It's about time you pulled your finger out. Maybe you can choose the music next week. Uh, we've gone for When a Child is Born. Bobby is. Boy was keen for the Cliff Richard one, but it, it sounds terrible. Um, Cliff Richard may well be a good British icon, but his version is 
not quite as good as the original from from uh, Johnny Mathis. So, gonna go for Johnny Mathis with when a child is born, which is not only topical for uh, three men and a woman and a baby, but also nice and Christmassy as well. So, that we're playing us out. Merry Christmas, everyone. As always, a pleasure, Bobby. I hate you. I mean, I love you. Have a yeah. Uh, have a great Christmas. Been a pleasure, Jay. Thank you very much, everyone. And a very Merry Christmas. Lights up up Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, forward slash Only Fools Brothers, or on Twitter, we're at Only Fools Bros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at onlyfoolsbrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Whisper in the trees And the walls of love Rumble, tossed and torn This comes to pass When a child is born A rosy heat